Welcome to Gender Meowster Podcast Network. Genderful is a talk show featuring non-binary and trans folks discussing various topics and special interests. We kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of identities. All opinions are the speaker's own. This show airs live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash gender meowster and VODs with show notes can also be found on YouTube. My name is Atlas Phoenix. You might remember me from the June 20th show. I've been asked to co-host. And so Gender Master is out this week. And so I have the pleasure of interviewing Ellen Mellor. Ellen, go ahead and unmute your mic. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Can you give us your name as you pronounce it, your pronouns and any special interest you have? Okay, my name is Ellen Mellor. My pronouns are she, her. Uh, I'm an author and I'm a huge geek. I'm very proud of that fact. That's great. I'm a geek too, so we're in good company. <laughs> That's great. Okay, I'm just going to get into the questions right now because we've got two hours and a lot to cover. So why don't we start with the first question? What are things that you could trace back to your youth that indicated you might be trans one day? Okay, I, some of my earliest memories dating back to when I was you know, sort of five or that around that was going to bed at night and wishing that I would wake up as a girl the next day. Wow. I had this ongoing sort of fantasy where I was actually, I was a princess and I'd been magically transformed into a boy to hide me away from something. Mm. And at any day now, a the wizard would come and untransform me or transform me back, whatever. So, yeah, one of my favourite books back then was, or one of my favourite series of books, was the Adventure Novels by Enid Blyton, who is a famous English author anyway. She's an awful hack. Well, she was an awful hack, but she was incredibly popular in the, probably the 50s. I had a series of books, which used to be my father's, which are gorgeous hardback editions. And one of them was called The Circus of Adventure. And in it, there is a boy who is secretly the prince of, an, of a, a foreign, vaguely Eastern European country. And as part of this, he's not allowed to cut his hair. His evil uncle, the Count, tries to kidnap him. And the other children from the uh, who who are with with uh, Gussie help him escape in, in a circus, and as part of that, they dress him up as a girl to disguise him because he has beautiful flowing locks of hair. And yeah, that was I loved that idea. Mm-hmm. I wished it could happen to me. How old would you read it? That was probably a. I about six ish probably, and just I reread them constantly. Wow, that's such a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. Oh my goodness. How often do you revisit that memory? Quite regularly, actually. And when I was writing T-Comics and Gender, which we'll talk about in a little while, obviously, I tried to find all those old copies of the books I had. Yeah. But they disappeared. So I went and looked online and Abe Books had a copy of the Circus of Adventure for a tenner with just in, in in that format. Wow. Edition. So I now have it back on my bookshelf. That's fantastic. It was meant to come back home. I, it is a terrible book. 
I mean, it, it's racist, it's sexist, it's not homophobic or transphobic because they just don't exist. But at the same time, it's just, oh God, it's so good. It's so good. Okay. Because it means something to you deeply. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I recognize Enid Blyton. She was a hack. She wrote several different st- st- uh, series, all with the same idea, a bunch of kids getting into scrapes. And right. there was always a very girly girl and a very tomboy girl as well. And I always wanted to be a mix between the girly girl and the tomboy. So I'd, I'd look like the girly girl, but I would mm-hmm. act like the tomboy. Wow. That's beautiful. Oh my God. I love this story so much. I love that. That's the episode itself. I have one other question. What did you say again? Thank you and good night. This is a perfect lead in to the next question, which is how has your relationship to gender evolved over time since these books? Oh, it's been really long and slow. By the time I hit my teenage years, I'd forgotten pretty much all about the whole thing of wanting to be a girl. When puberty hit, I started cross-dressing, stealing my mother's clothes and putting them on and then eventually starting to buy my own. I started coming out to people when I was about 17 or 18 as a cross-dresser. For years, I thought that's what I thought, that's all I thought I was. I thought I was a cisgender, straight cross-dresser. If people say asked, I'd say, no, I have no desire to actually be a woman, to have the operation, because denial is not just a river in Egypt. No, it's not. So one of the thoughts I all I had on a regular basis was mm-hmm. that if I if my wife and I ever separated, I would start to live full time as a woman. Okay. But my wife and I were never going to separate, so I didn't even need to worry about that. Oh wow. So you were able to live full time as a woman without worrying about separating. No, I lived full time as it was. I lived full time as a man. Okay. But I had this sort of fantasy that if we ever split up, I would then live full time as a woman. Okay, but you didn't have to wait for that. As no, well. but because we were never going to split up, that was never going to happen. So I don't need to worry about it. Okay. You get in okay. there? Yeah, I am. I am. Yes. Yeah. I have one question for you. You talk yeah. about how you used to steal your mother's clothing until you buy your own. Can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about that and expand upon what it was like to steal the first piece of clothing and what it was like <laughs> to buy your own piece of clothing? Okay. So the first, I, my mother is a, is always has been a stylish woman. Okay. And yeah, back when I was 13, hormones raging through my system, anything would excite me. I, mean, I could look at a table leg and get turned on. Hormones. Uh, so yes, yeah, so, so whilst I knew it was completely wrong what I was doing, mm. I, was, I was taking her clothes, I was going into her cupboards and going into her drawers, and taking her underwear and her dresses and things. At the same time, it gave me a... It was, a, at the time, it was a, a deeply erotic thrill. It excited me and turned me on. And yeah, it was just it. But at the same time, it also relaxed me because it just felt this was growing up in the 1980s. Although I say my mother was a stylish woman. She was a stylish woman in the 1980s, which takes style down several levels. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it had Um, a different style for sure. Yeah, to say the least. But But one of the things she had was it was in the middle of the time when with the, the start of the, the, the aerobics, the first time there was a big aerobics phase. She had leotards and tight and aerobic tights. Mm-hmm. And she had this one particular outfit, 
which was this really nice sort of blue leotard, dark blue leotard, pale blue tights. And this was about the same time as I was getting into comics. So around sort of 14, 15 years of age. And my favourite character was Kitty Pride from the X-Men. Okay. It was played by Elliot Page in the movies. Got you. All right. But Kitty, her character, Shadowcat, her superhero persona, Shadowcat, had, was, had this, her costume was a basically a blue leotard with blue tights. And because she, I identified with her completely, being able to dress up as Kitty was mm-hmm. just, it was something I it just, I loved being able to do that. Uh, wow. It was just, it felt right. Like I say, it's just, it was just, yeah, obviously it was my first and only time cosplaying, but it was, yeah, it was just, it. I needed to do it. It seems like it felt liberating. Oh, absolutely. Wow. When I started buying my own clothes, that was absolutely terrifying. Um, you more about that? It, it was, well, like you know, the first was, my first, I have no idea. It would have been panties, probably. Okay. Almost undoubtedly. Okay. A 15, 16-year-old apparent boy going into a into the lingerie section of a shop mm-hmm. and picking out pretty knickers. I, you go in and you're convinced everybody is looking at you and everybody is judging you and they know mm-hmm. exactly why you're doing it and they think you're a disgusting pervert. But you didn't really have much choice. It was either that or going into the transformations shop, which was a British chain, which, <coughs> excuse me, which was aimed at, 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 well, at transvestites, as they referred to them then. But it was horrible. It was more like a sex shop than it was anything else. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, and just the clothing they had was, it was just the cheapest, tackiest most, I've described it as the, no, I'm not going to use it, um, as a slutty T word. Yeah. yeah. Um, absolutely nothing wrong with being slutty, mm-hmm. but this stuff was just unpleasant. And so they were sexualizing yeah. people in this gen. Oh, in completely. The- yeah. Oh, I see. So it's like objectification and sexualizing. Gotcha. Yeah. And, I- and also making them pay through the nose for it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Because I, I remember back then, the most basic sort of polyester, ugly panties would cost about twenty pounds. Oh wow! Yeah, and that and I worked it out, and that's probably about sixty to seventy pounds in now. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. That was a lot of money back then. Yeah. Oh, uh, fortunately, I went in there because it was somewhere I could be open about who I was. I never bought any of their clothes because I wasn't comfortable, but I preferred going and buying clothes in in an ordinary shop because mm-hmm. they were just so much nicer. And Wow. Thank you for sharing this story. I appreciate this. Thank you. It's all in the memoir. So why? So. <laughs> That's right. We're going to jump right into that now. You yeah. say that you have two books. And two books, yes. And kicks, they're on Kickstarter. You're using, can you talk more about this? You're pu- why are you publishing two books at once is the question. Because I'm absolutely rubbish at organization and planning, basically. So... Originally, <laughs> uh, I was just going, I was writing a, I was putting together a book of short stories, which is called All the Books of Earth. All the Books of Earth. Uh, okay. All the Books of Earth. And as part of that, I've written several 
a few essays and things as well about being trans. One of the ones I'd written was a, an essay of essentially a short piece about my life. But this came about because while I was waiting for my appointment to the gender clinic, I was talking to somebody else who was going to a different clinic. And she told me that, that she'd been told she had to write an essay about her life essentially to prove that she is trans. Oh, wow. Yeah, which absolutely appalled me and made me so angry. It, it's it's gatekeeping, it's ableist, it's just awful. Yes. I, as far as I was aware at the time, I didn't need it for where I was going, but I also didn't want to chance it. So you write an and essay. So I wrote an essay, but I mean, you know, also I'm a writer, I write hey. things. So I wrote this 4,000 or so word about my life up to that point. When I was putting together all the books of Earth, I decided that I would expand it a bit. I would take it from like 4,000 to 8,000 words and bring it up to date. When I got to 20,000 words and was nowhere near actually starting my transition, I realized that this was actually going to be another book. Because as I said, I, I hadn't planned anything because, you know, 8,000 word essay, I'll just knock it out. And once it got 20,000 words and I just thought, I'll just keep going, see how far it takes me, see how long it takes. That's right. And it ended up being 102,000 words. 102,000 so, words. Yeah. Wow. So a little longer than I didn't originally planned. Yes. Just a little uh, bit. So I finished T Comics and Gender, the memoir, and then finished all the books of Earth and finished putting that together properly. And then they just sat around and I didn't do much with them for a while until it came to the point where I thought I, I need to get these out because they are just sitting there clogging things up. So I thought I'll put them out together because they're both ready. And I feel that they they make a nice companion piece because in a way, T-Comics and Gender should be in all the books of Earth. Gotcha. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Okay. So I just put them both out. It seems like there are two parts of your identity, like your love for comics yeah. and then transitioning and then having a memoir of your transition, even pre-transition. So it, it makes sense to have them come out together totally. Yeah, uh, I think so, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That's great. That's great. Let's see here. Your memoir is called Tea, Comics, and Gender. Why? Because... Those are probably the three things that absolutely define who I am. I could have added a few other things. I could have added Doctor Who. Okay. I could have added books. I have. Right. I live in a library, basically. I was following the rule of three, where you do three, where you have three things. And tea, comics, and gender just seem to roll off the tongue. Yeah. The tea is because I'm a total tea snob. I'm having tea now. Hibiscus. That's not tea. I'm sorry. Oh my God. That's not tea. Interview over. That is technically a tisane. A tisane? Yeah. T-I-S-A-N-E. Tea is black tea. Oh, it's rubus. Does that count? <laughs> nope. I'm having a beverage that's warm with cream. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm not going to get in the way of anybody drinking what they want. But I personally, I'm just, I'm just a massive tea snob. I do okay. tea leaves over tea bags. There oh. are certain drinks which I will, there are certain types of tea, just a black tea, which I will not touch with a barge bowl because they are disgusting. Okay. Yeah. And at work, I have a little cute little red teapot, which is just a, a one cup, a one person teapot. Nice. And it's one of the things I am known for. 
Wonderful. Okay. So it's part of your personality for sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So you go to yeah. tea specialty shops and look. Well, yes, there are some tea specialty shops, but I have a friend who runs an online tea shop. It's called Unravel Tea, and I describe her as my pusher. Okay. Okay. So unravel is it unraveltea.com or unravel? Uh, yeah, unraveltea.com. I'm fairly sure it is. It's I've got it bookmarked, so I never know what the actual never, oh, are. it's called Unravel Tea. So if you love tea, yes. maybe you should check it out. Yeah. And if you do and if you do, let Donna know that I sent you. Yes. There you go. She's lovely. Oh, wonderful. That's awesome. So is there anything else you want to cover and why you call the tea comics and gender? So we covered well, tea and I, so the comics, as I mentioned earlier on, X-Men and Kitty Pride, been collecting since I was about 15. I okay. now have something like 12,000 comic books and graphic novels. Wow. So yeah, so that's, yeah, I'm, yeah, I did mention I was a massive geek. Yes, this is perfect. This is great. And so some of those comics and graphic novels you've read more than once, which is a comic or a graphic novel that you've read more than three times? Watchmen, Sandman. The Invisibles, Love and Rockets. Mm. Tell me when to stop. Hellblazer. <laughs> These are all great. These are all yeah. great. Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah I, I'm like I love graphic novels. So I have Fahrenheit 451, and then I have Kindred. Oh, that was wonderful. The graphic I, I have. I'm still reading Fahrenheit 451. It's gorgeous, and it's the first yeah. time reading Ray Bradbury. I had the novel, but I didn't uh -huh. open the novel. But then I found the graphic novel, and I was like, oh, "Oh, I'm gonna read this. It's gorgeous. It looks beautiful. Yeah. It's amazing. It's so well done. Yes, yeah. yes. If you're going to read Ray Bradbury in prose, read his short stories. Okay, he is the master of the short story. Ooh. He's absolutely brilliant. Okay. All right. That's fantastic. I will do that. Thank you. I appreciate that. And then the last part of the title is gender. I have no, I just thought it sounded good. Okay. That works. Yeah, I, I, gender is a major part of who I am. My gender is a major part of who I am. Again, I, at work, I am completely open, totally out. I'm essentially, I'm the token trans for the place. Okay. But I don't particularly mind doing that. Okay. I don't... I say I don't particularly want my gender to define who I am. I would rather just be Ellen, and the fact that I'm trans is as boring as the fact that I'm that I'm fifty. No, I'm not. I'm fifty-one now. In fact, I keep okay, doing no. that too. I'm fifty-one, and I keep saying I'm fifty. I'm like, no, you're fifty-one. Get this. You're almost gonna be fifty-two. Get this. Actually, I don't remember my age. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but I, at the moment, in certainly in the UK, and to a greater or lesser extent in the USA. I don't have much of a choice about whether about letting my gender define me because it is there's just so much trouble with it. I, and today Liz Truss has been has been announced as the new prime minister and she's going to make things so much worse. I got a headline today and I was just yeah. concerned. Yeah. Yeah, it's just if there's one person who could ever make Boris Johnson look competent, it's Liz Truss. I've read that, yes. But um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, at this point, that's about all the option you have left is to see how it goes and then do yeah. it again. Yeah. yeah. I have another question here for you. Oh, this is great. If I had never read one of your books, which one would you recommend? It, partly it depends on what you like. And I've written, so this is 
So Tea Comics and Gender and All the Books of Earth are my sixth and seventh books. So I've written three novels, which are all, the first one is pretty much straight science fiction. The second one is straight fantasy. And the third one is, is a contemporary supernatural thriller. Supernatural thriller. Yeah. That's the one. I love, I love that. I mean, that's yes. probably the one, that's probably, that's my most recent one other than these two. Probably the one I would recommend because it's, I think it's, my other ones are good, obviously, because I wrote mm-hmm. them. But this one, I've had two novels worth of experience of writing. Okay. And and that much better at it. And it's also the one that's got the best feedback of them all. So yeah, okay. I would probably recommend Ghost King. Ghost King. Okay. Ghost King. No G. Ghost King. So K I N. K I N. Yes. Okay. Thank you. For, thank you for clarifying that. Where can someone find that book in the other two books? The other two books currently only through Amazon. Okay. Unfortunately, I will be at some point moving them across. But Ghostkin, you can get from anywhere. You would have to order it, but it's available from any good bookshop, as the adverts say. Okay. And I would recommend going and getting it from an independent bookshop anyway, because they're just nicer than Amazon. I have a lovely queer-owned bookstore here called Moon Palace Books, so I'll be going there to order it and some other books. Excellent. Yes, yes. Very good. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, we're going to go back to this. What's your favorite tea? Since you don't like black tea, I won't touch it with a 10-foot or 12-foot or 15-foot pole. What is your favorite tea? So my favorite tea is, is one I get from Unravel Tea. Of course. Unsmoked Lapsang Sushong. Unsmoked Lapsang Sushong. Yeah. Lapsang Sushong is pretty readily available. But it, it's always smoked. And to me, it tastes like smoky bacon. Oh, I'm on. I'm there. Yes. I need no, to I, I, I love smoky bacon, but not in my teas. Okay. The, un, the unsmoked is much more subtle. So smoking it actually, it for me, it ruins the taste of it. Because oh, you I see. The, you can't actually taste the, the tea. Okay. Um, but yeah, unsmoked Lapsang Sushong is just, it's amazing. It's also really quite expensive, unfortunately. So I don't have it on a regular basis. Okay. It's a special treat. Oh, it's a special treat. I love that. That's great. When you decide to have this tea and you say it's a special treat, what is the environment? What are you doing? Um, What did you do the last time you decided to treat yourself? It would just have been sitting down, having having my cup of tea, reading something. Just relaxing, but just wanting that little extra sort of feeling of luxury to go along with it. Wonderful. That's fantastic. Now I have to go to Unravel Tea and get that. Okay. Uh, She does lots of really good teas. She does lots of uh, herbal teas as well. So you'll be fine there. Okay. (laughs) Great. Thank you. (laughs) All right. We just covered it. What's your favorite tea? We got that done. And then let's see. And we covered this too. Which comments do you read? And what do you keep coming back to? Do you want to clarify what you keep coming back to? Yeah, I read everything I can anyway. I've got both DC and Marvel, the apps, on my tablet. So I read okay. all of their output. But that's just because they're there. They're not my... I like superheroes, but they're not my go-to. What's your go-to? Uh, my go-to are I follow creators rather than titles. Okay. So people like Kieran Gillen who did Die and Wicked and the Divine and is currently actually writing X-Men. Yeah, so I, sometimes I do heroes. 
but he but he's non-binary, but he still refer he's still he him. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> uh, then, absolutely wonderful. Just such a smart, clever writer. What is um, it in particular that you like about it? It's just what's the thing that makes you go, I gotta pick this up and read it again. It's how he uses the format. So Wicked and the Divine, for example, is it's almost a superhero comic. But the basis of it is that once every 80 years or 79 years, a group of gods manifest on Earth and they live for a year. Ooh. I'm writing this um, down now so that I can actually go write, go pick this up. And it's a wonderfully queer comic as, as much as anything else. But all the gods, they are, they're not they're, they're music archetypes. So you have Lucifer, who looks, who is very much David Bowie mm. in, as, in the thin white duke in the thin white duke era you have the Morrigan who is very much Florence in the machine that's sort of you. yeah she's coming to town I think in a week or two oh cool yeah that's what I said too the one I would the person I would like to see is Christine in the Queens oh I've never heard of this person French singer literally Thursday announced that actually Chris announced that they were a trans man. He was a trans man, sorry. I mean, he, he's French. He does, he does some of his, so he, he, he releases albums with both the English and the French versions of the songs on them. And they're just, they're really good. Wow. So, That's yeah. awesome. Mm -hmm. So it's Christine and the Queens. Yes. Yes. Fantastic. That's awesome. Um, um, oh, go ahead. What were you going to add? No, to that? I was just yeah, Kieran Gillen. Just yeah. If you haven't read him, then you need to read. You need to read Wicked and the Divine. And That's what I have written die. down. Yeah, and Die oh. is his other really big one. Die, D-I-E. Yeah. Yes. But it's Kieran Gillen always just described it as goth Jumanji. Whoa. <laughs> Do you know the nineteen eighties Dungeons and Dragons cartoon? I've heard of it, kids yeah. Are on the the ki kids are on Dungeons and Dragons and get right. transported into the era, into the real Dungeons and Dragons world. Okay, okay. This is that, but they come back and then 20 years later, they have to go back again. And so wow. it's, it's an exploration of fantasy and role-playing and what it all means in comic book form wow. and it's amazing he's actually written the role-playing game that goes along with the comic book oh wow and this i am so phenomenal getting it you're looking forward to getting it yeah when is it coming out do you know it's there was the kickstarter at the beginning of the year for it mm -hmm. so it should be coming out or ship to the kickstarter backers i think the beginning of 23 Okay. Uh, and from there, it will be available generally. Got you. Wonderful. Oh, I'm excited about that. Good. I have a comic book store that's up the street, so I'm going to go check these out. That's fantastic. Thanks for all the references today. It's great. Uh, yes. Let's see here. Any recommendations for good trans and queer comics? I think you covered that with Kieran. With Ki yeah, and Kieran is one of the very few sort of trans masculine and non-binary creators. There, there are a lot of trans women in the comics at the moment. Okay. But Kieran and N.D. Stevenson, 
who created Lumberjanes and Nimona are the only sort of trans mask people I can think of. Andy Stevenson is wonderful. They were also involved in the creation of the She-Ra reboot. Okay. On okay. Netflix. I haven't heard of that, but yes, I can look that up. I have Netflix, so yes. Yeah, it is. It's a She-Ra was a, a He-Man spinoff. Gotcha. Um, yeah, uh, uh, back in the 80s and got rebooted and again is beautifully queer. Oh, um, wonderful. And okay. Make you cry. Okay. All right. I need a good cry. Yes, that's yeah. great. All right. Um, yeah, but I mean, for, for trans women, there's, there's the three big names. There's Lila Sturgis. Lila Sturgis. Uh, Lila Sturgis. Mags Visagio, or Visagio. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce their name. Okay. And Sophie Campbell. They're just, they are, they do very different things, but they are wonderful and well worth checking out. What? More general queer stuff. Tilly Walden, I really recommend. Tilly um, Okay. Tilly Walden. Uh, she, she, one of her, one of my favorite books is, of hers is called Spinning. It's semi-autobiographical about growing up as a queer girl and learning ballet. And then, you know, Alison Bechdel. Uh, of yes, the, I love Alison. Test. Yeah. Yes, I am. The nice last to watch out for is absolute must read. Yes, yes, I agree with that. I've also read Fun Home and Are You My Mother, which yeah. broke me. That book broke me. And she just released a new one, I think. Yes, I can't remember what it's called, but it's very good. Okay. Okay, that's what I heard. I heard it was very good. Yeah. Yes. Oh, she's amazing. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I love this question, which is, what is your favorite story in the short story collection, All the Books of Earth? <laughs> yeah, that's, that is a difficult question. Okay. They are all my children. Although having said that... Who's your favorite child? <laughs> well, my actual child. I have to say my actual child is my favorite child. Right. There's Marooned of Ceres. Marooned um, of Ceres. Yeah, which is the first story in the collection. And okay. one of the longer ones. It's the first time I've written something that, that is overtly romantic in tone. Okay. It's still very much science fiction, it's still very queer, but there's mm-hmm. a very there is a romantic plot to it. And the ending of it, I yeah, this is me saying the ending of it always makes me tear up. Okay. That's powerful. If it because still always makes so you tear up. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. I love that. This is going to be a great question because I was actually naturally thinking of this, not only what started you writing, but can you talk a little bit about your process as well? So what started me writing? I've always written um, from very young. My first school when I was probably seven or eight, I remember my first, well, I remember the first story I remember mm-hmm. is just one talking about my journey to school that day. Okay. It was in the middle of winter. It was cold and icy. And I mm. slipped on the ice. Mm. And I remember this one phrase from it is that I slipped on the ice and I got a numb bum. I love that. Then later on, I got more heavily into writing science fiction and fantasy. One of my earliest ones was a Doctor Who classic Star Trek crossover. Okay. Which I called the Death Ship Enterprise. And All right. Everybody died in it. Everybody just sounds like Agatha Christie's and then there were none, but not different. <laughs> okay. I wrote some Lord of the Rings fan fiction, continuing the story of Pippin and Merry. These are all for sort of like school homework and things. 
Gotcha. My teacher, when marking it, said that she was very impressed with what I'd written, except for the fact that it was plagiarised. Which it wasn't plagiarised. She didn't under, quite understand what that word meant. But she just kind of used it as an English yeah. teacher. Nice. Yeah. How did that make you feel when she told you that? Like that initial feeling as soon as she said it? Was, I was, I think I was, it was quite upsetting because I was, I'd worked hard on it and it wasn't just copying out from Tolkien. It was using his characters and situations, but creating an entirely new set. It would be like somebody writes fanfic now being told that they're, I don't know, they're whatever. I don't read fanfic very much. But yeah, so being told that they're basically just copying whoever the story is. It's not. It's about expanding on it and showing your appreciation for the story. That's right. Yes. I, apparently she doesn't. That Was that a big thing back then, though, when you wrote your fan? Oh, thing? no, not at all. So she didn't yeah, this, know. This was before the Internet, before the right. World Wide Web. So there was, right. you didn't have AO3 or anything like that. That's right, because there's fan fiction, Star Wars films, short films that people have made, even chilling films and the like of that. But like the idea of taking something that you're so familiar with and then taking the characters and then adding the characters and the characterization to a completely new construct and creating your own world. Because when we read, we have to actually create our own world with the clues that are given in the text. And so fan fiction to me just seems like another beautiful outlet of taking that and synthesizing it and then actually creating a whole new world from scratch. Yes. I love that. Fan fiction yeah, and, can be beautiful. Fan fiction is, it's a brilliant way of honing your craft as well. It's true. There are authors out there who have, who are now big successful authors who started off writing fanfic wow. and are proud of it. And the most obvious one, unfortunately, is Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. Which was Twilight fan fiction. Got uh, you. Oh, I've ne- I haven't seen Fifty Shades of Grey. Some people said the movie is don't go see it, but I haven't actually read the book of it. I read it's awful. I downloaded a preview, not a preview, a, a sample uh, to my Kindle of it. I got to the end of the first page and nearly threw my Kindle across the room. It was oh, it was so that bad. bad. Yeah. But it's it, what it is, it's the author originally wrote it as with the characters from Twilight. So Christian Grey is Edward and Anastasia is who the girl character is in uh, in the Twilight yes. books. But then you know, essentially filed off the, the recognisable characteristics and had it published as, as Fifty Shades of Grey. Interesting. So yeah, she's possibly the worst argument for fan fiction going, but there are other people who are actually who are good authors who started off in fanfic. Do you think that it's a combination of her not being such a good author or her compromising her craft to make Fifty Shades of Grey versus continue on with fan fiction through Twilight? I have no idea. Like I said, I've not actually read any of us or very little of her stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm what I'm what I am I'm talking from a very much from a position of, of almost total ignorance. Okay, but I have talked to other people who've read it. I've read reviews about it. I mean, the whole uh, partly it's the whole thing about the, the BDSM background of Fifty Shades. Yes, where which is just it's not BDSM; it's just abuse. But yeah, it's so I honestly don't know whether I don't think she's done anything else other than Fifty Shades of Grey things, which has done various different versions of it, but she's never moved on from it. Yeah, so whether she's actually capable of writing anything else. 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's left to be said, I imagine. But at the same time, people read it. Yeah. And for one of the, one of the, my philosophy is that one of the reasons we are put on earth is to read. Yes. I was a, I, I did a teaching course, a teaching qualification. So I'm actually a qualified teacher. Um, but Ooh. the one thing that the course taught me was that I should never be allowed anywhere near a classroom. Why is um, that? Can you elaborate on that? Because whilst I could deal with the kids at the top level yes. who were engaged, and to a certain extent I could deal with the kids, sort of the, the lower ability children, it was the big chunk in the middle who were bright enough to be engaged, but also not actually interested. Okay. I just couldn't handle them. I just didn't know what to do. And one of the things, because it was, I was an English teacher, obviously. Yes. But one of the things that some of the kids would used to say would be that it's just, I, I don't like to read. And to me, this is a um, sentence that just, this does not compute for me. Gotcha. I, yes. I do not understand what they're saying. You've described your house as a library. And so yeah. that immediately goes against the value that you have, which is that Absolutely, reading, yeah. reading is necessary. Yeah. Not I, just, I know I'm not when I can't read. Oh, that's right. Same. Every yes. single day. Okay. You read, how many books are you in between right now? I'm rereading Lord of the Rings. Five, I think. Five. Five. Is that the most you've ever been between or have you been? When I was younger, it would be, it would probably be five. This is actually quite unusual to have this many on the go at once. Okay. Now. Um, but okay. when I was younger, it would, it would be somewhere around five or six usually, yeah. Wow. So can you describe a little bit of that? Just read a little bit, put it down, pick up another book, read a little bit, put it down. How do you, how would you describe that, your process? It was, yeah, it was just, yeah, I would read a bit and then I would just want to move on to something else. Okay. Uh, And it's not that I wasn't enjoying what I was reading. It was just, there was this other book that needed to be read as well. Right. I still have that when, when I'm sitting down reading by my books, I'm going, there's that one on the bookshelf I haven't read yet. And that one. And I, right. need to re- I really want to reread that one. Okay. And it just, it's, it's actually quite, it, it, it makes me quite anxious sometimes because, so, you know. What part of it these, makes you? Just that there are these books which I have not yet read and <sighs> they need to be read. Yes. I have yeah. a joke that, that, that I'm actually planning on living forever. Okay. Because at some point, when the universe, when we approach the heat death of the universe, there will be no more books being published, mm. and then I'll be able to catch up. Okay, all right, you've worked this out. I believe in you. I think it's a perfectly really reasonable thing to do. There are a lot of books out there, Alan. So let's get you reading all of them. So let's just extend. <laughs> let's extend your contract. That's what we're gonna do. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, maybe we should fun. start a Patreon. And get people to to pay me for each book I read. I'm not against that. I support that. Also, you have to give it a clever name. Help Ellen Live Forever or something along those lines. Yes. I will think about it and get, and get the marketing people onto it. Yes, I think you should do that, definitely. <laughs> My question for you to talk a little bit more about your process of writing. Would you be willing to share some of that with us? Yeah, it's actually quite difficult to talk about because I... I don't know what it is, to be honest. Okay. I have appalling writing discipline. I will write for a while 
And then I could take three, four months off and not do anything. What is appalling about that? Because I, it, I find it difficult because in my head, a writer is somebody who writes. If I'm not writing, I'm not being a writer. What about processing, taking time to download things and in your mind and then examine and then come back and write in three or four months? What about that? That's part of the process too, isn't it? Up to a point, usually I have a pretty good idea of what the story is going to be from day one. Okay. I know, so with Ghostkin, I knew what the last line was from the very beginning. Okay, I see. And so often... And I, I know a lot of the the high po- the, the points which I need to hit the, through the writing process. The difficult bit is getting from point A to point B to point C. There's the bits in between. And so it's I'm probably being harder on myself than I sh- than I need to be because I've written seven books and that is something to be for me to be very proud of and I am. It's I feel like if I had a proper writing discipline and could write every day, mm-hmm. I could be up to 20 books by now. I mean, Ghosts so T Comics and Gender, for example, managed to write in about four months. Okay. Because I just wrote every single day and okay. it just flowed. And I found that the more I wrote, the more I could write. Mm-hmm. Then once I'd finished that and once I'd finished T Comics and Gender, I just stopped. And I haven't written anything for at least 12 months now, which is, which I find, I find personally quite upsetting because I want to write. I know what I'm writing next. I just haven't found, I'm not in the right headspace to do it at the minute. That's valid. Um, That's valid. Absolutely. Yeah. But but it's frustrating. I I find it deeply frustrating. And I know that if I could get myself down to write, then I would feel it would be one of the things that make me feel better. I'm actually, I'm on holiday from work this week. And one of my plans is to get started writing Ghostkin 2. Wow. That's great. That's fantastic. I'm a writer as well. And so I, when it hits me, I write and then write. And then when I need to take a break, I take a break and take care of myself, have fun, whatever. And then come back when I feel ready to write again. But it, it took me a while to get past the, how do you say it? the pressuring myself to turn something out and yeah it like that doesn't work for me to churn things out unless I'm churning something out yeah so so I've worked a lot on not pressuring myself I'm not saying you have to do that but I've been in those shoes before where I was pressuring myself to do something and and now I'm just able to like accept that this is part of my process which is taking that time away and then coming back yeah I could probably write better if I wasn't telling myself you've got to write okay but one of my problems is I overthink everything oh and I have any so I overthink it. everything as well like that yeah. like overthinker so yes yeah. yes I feel yeah. that I know the plot of Ghostkin 2 I know the yeah. plot of the next book I'm going to write okay uh, the one after that is a bit iffy but I'm I know it Okay, I trust you. You've written, what, seven books? I trust you. Yes, that's fantastic. Actually, I forgot to mention one of the books earlier on, which is The Princess and the Elephant, which I, which came out last year, the which Princess is a children's the... book. Okay. It's drawn with uh, drawn by my friend Piper Strange. Um, okay. Beautiful illustrations, and oh. it is a, it's a transgender fairy tale for children, and <sighs> I love it. 
Where can we get a copy of this? Again, you can get it from any bookshop. Any bookstore. Can you give me the title of that book again, please? The Princess and the Elephant. Princess and the Elephant. Yes. Oh, I love elephants, so I'm all excited, more than excited. One of the things that that Piper and I want to do is actually is do a Kickstarter so we can do a plushy Edgar. Edgar is the elephant in the story. Okay. Oh, so you have a stuffy, like a toy. Yeah, we haven't done it yet, but it is in the early planning stages. Oh, that's awesome. I'm excited for you. That's fantastic. I desperately want an Edgar of my own. Yeah, now that I haven't read the book yet, but now I want one. So I, I love stuffy. <laughs> so I have I have one here that a friend of mine gave me. I was going through a hard time. It's Care Bear Tarmody. Oh. And I just come out to her as queer. And so she's like, this is free. I trust you is what the card said. So it was great. Did so, that yeah. Care Bear have no ears? Uh, uh, pardon me? Did it have no ears? No, nope. ears are right here. Boop, boop. Oh, they're just, okay. They're, they're just a bit small. They're, they're a little bit small, but they're in. right there. Okay. My Care Bear has ears. I have a couple of new questions for you. Yeah. Let's see here. What audience do you imagine or hope your work will attract and why? On the whole, I write for myself. So anyone else is a bonus. Right. I hope it will attract people who like good science fiction and fantasy. Okay. But I hope it will attract people who like good writing. But I know that Writing things which are as overtly queer as the stuff I write now will put some people off. But, you know, on the whole, if the fact that there is a queer protagonist in a story puts them off, I'd rather they didn't read it anyway. If they've got the latest Cormoran strike tome to read. (laughs) Okay, lucky them. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's just, I don't really imagine or hope for an audience. I just... I put them out there because it's like the final stage. It's like, okay, this is now finished or as finished as it's going to be. And I can put that to one side and move on to the next thing. I would write even if nobody bought the books. Yeah, so my, my audience is me. Can I share something with you? Because I'm an artist Absolutely. as well. I'm a filmmaker and writer. Oh, and cool. I had to recently apply for a fellowship here in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And what I decided to do was look over my first three films. And so when I wrote the fellowship, I literally said, I'm the original me. And if you don't like my work, I still made you feel something. So there's no loss. And once I make the work, maybe you relate to this, but once I make the work and I release it, it doesn't belong to me anymore. And I move on to the next thing. Would you say that is the same thing for you? Yes, absolutely. It's, yeah, by releasing it into the wild, then yeah, I'm saying this is now done, make of it what you will. And if people like it, then Absolutely brilliant. But like I say, if people dislike it, as long as they can articulate why rather than just saying it's rubbish, then that is equally valid. Right. That's right. And I've already got their money, so I don't really care. <laughs> there you go. Can you talk? Is this this idea of once you release it into the wild and it now belongs to the reader, whether they like it or not, is that an empowering place for you to be. I know it is for me, but can you tell me what it is in your own words for you when, once you make that idea, you've subscribed to this idea? In a way, it's, yeah, it is quite empowering in that it marks the end point of a journey. It's going from something that I've spent however long it has been living with these characters and finishing the book 
and putting it out there for other people to read, then it just, I don't know how to say it. It lets people, it lets me disconnect from it almost. So I now have the space in my head for what's coming next, where it comes. And it allows, I don't know, It's that's quite, that's a difficult question. I think you're doing a great job answering it, though. There there just seems to be, for me, the way I express it is once I'm done with it, I literally, like you said, I now have space to take on the next project. And once that's done, space, next project, and that kind of thing, you're literally moving on to the next thing once you've published a book. You're already on to the next thing. Like for right now, you have three books and the plots for all three of them now. (laughs) It's just a matter of sitting down and writing them. So this is where you are. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't hold space for, I wonder what people think about this and what if nobody likes it? Plus make new work. Because if you're already worried about whether people like this work or not, how can you put attention and time towards the new work? Yeah. And this is, that- this, is, and this is why I say I write for myself because that's all you can do. You can't try and judge what the market wants. Yes. Because by the time you finish your book and publish it, the market will have changed. That's right. And it's not about the market anyway. It's about the craft and about the the pleasure that it brings. That's right. And, and you might be lucky enough to create your own market. That's right. That's exactly what I'm doing with my stuff. So we're on the same trajectory as artists. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. Yes, that's <laughs> awesome. Is writing your only job source of income? No, I also work for a local NHS trust a hospital in a hospital. Okay. Uh, I'm a system administrator for the electronic rostering system. Okay. Can you describe a little bit more what that is or do you feel comfortable? Yeah, it's a computerized system for for just for so for the staff rosters so they know which ward where the hours they're working and and it allows so it allows them to organize both the wards and the hospital as a whole much more efficiently because so for example if one ward is overstaffed and another ward is understaffed the system show can show that and okay. will allow us to move people from one ward to another ward wow uh, and that never happens because all the wards are desperately understaffed okay because, because the government Okay. All right. But yeah, in theory, that's what it does. But on the whole, it's a time and attendance system. Okay. It sounds complicated. Uh, Yeah, it is a bit. I've been working on it now for about four years. So I'm I'm pretty good at it. Okay. Um, one, One of the things that always makes my day is that when I'm doing the help desk stuff, and I answer the phone and someone says, oh, Ellen, thank God it's you. Oh, that's wonderful. That just makes me feel so happy. Oh, that's wonderful. It makes them happy, makes you happy. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. I hope you get to hear that sometime soon. All right, another question for you. How do you feel about writing in other media? Some video games have book levels of writing in them. Have you ever experienced that? No, I've done a screenwriting course. Really? Um, And tried tried doing some stuff for that. Okay. Um, And I enjoyed that, but I never, I didn't get very far with it because it just, it was at a time when I wasn't, again, as I said earlier about being in the right headspace, it was when things weren't going particularly well for me. Okay. So I've, it's, it's there on the back burner and I do want to go back to it because I think the story I have 
would be a good one. But right. I just need to be able to get it down. Okay. That's fantastic. But, yeah, I've written... The only other thing outside of fiction I've written really is I've written a role-playing game. Oh, can and, you tell um, more about that? That is actually, that's based on Ghostkin. Okay. Uh, because, yeah, I just feel that Ghostkin as a world, or the world of Ghostkin, has a lot of potential. I mean, it's going to have at least two books in it. There is a Ghostkin short story in all the books of Earth. So there's a lot there which can be played with. And yeah, I just fancy trying my hand at it because I've never done it before. Okay. But no, I've never done, I've never thought about video games. To be honest, I don't play video games. Okay. I, they just don't, they don't excite me in the okay. same way that, you know, a, a tabletop role-playing game or a, mm. uh, just a, an ordinary board game will, will, will excite me. I feel the same way about that, too. Uh, yeah. Although video games were big and popular when we were growing up, I actually like to interact with people in real life on a board. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And to be honest, I mean, some of the big games, I used to play, when I was young, I used to play Elite on my BBC Micro. It was a, a space trading and simulation game. Okay. Which has it has a large following in the UK because it was d- done on the it was created originally for the BBC Micro, which is a, a very British computer. Okay, I was awful at it. Okay, <laughs> so terrible at it. But you did you enjoy playing it even though you felt that you were awful at it? Was it something that you Not really because it was so it was things like you'd get into dogfights with pirates, and I would die in thirty seconds. Oh, and that's I frustrating. Never work it out, and it was just—it was frustrating. So, it's so fun. <laughs> yeah. The wow. only thing I ever kept on at was the original Hobbit text-based role-playing game, text-based adventure game. Sorry. Oh wow! Whoa. Um, okay. And you play this on the BBC computer, the micro. Yeah, that was on the BBC as well. Yes. <laughs> okay, and just text back and forth the role-playing game. No, so it wasn't a role play. It was an adventure game. So it was just okay. sort of like it took you through the story of the Hobbit, and you were Bilbo, and you said, "Go north and pick up axe and take." Oh, I remember axe. those. Yes. yes, I had a Commodore sixty four. My dad got it. And I had a Commodore sixty four as well at one point. Okay, yes, I, I loved had... my Commodore sixty four. I loved it too. Like my dad was on it quite often, but we had. I love murder mysteries, and I was raised on Agatha Christie when I was a child. So I've been reading Agatha Christie since I was eight, oh, and nice. so there was a floppy disk. Remember those big floppy disks? Oh yeah, the five and quarter so, inch disks. Yes, you quarter inch, and so you put it in, and there was this mystery game, and so I would try to figure out who the killer was. I loved that game, played it for hours. Uh-huh. But yes, I remember that go left to go pick this up or go yeah. right or something like that. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I remember those very well i have a question for you about one of your books the one that is being put together for the kickstarter which is all the books of earth why did you name it that title right i have been no longer a fan of amanda palmer she's a singer songwriter i know who it is yeah yeah married to neil gaiman yeah yeah i've fallen out of love with her a bit recently but the best thing about it, about the fandom, was the community aspect of it. Okay. And one of, and there was a, a Facebook group of Amanda Palmer fans, and one of the people on there, a woman called Jen, I got to know, and just online, and I can't remember why, I think she, but she wrote me a haiku. And that haiku, the first line of it was, 
all the books of Earth. It's actually in the as a as a an epigram in the book itself, and and I loved it, and I just it felt like it was it felt apt, and so I just I thought yeah that, that makes a nice title. Wonderful. Can you explain more for people that don't know what an epigraph is? Can you talk a little bit more? So it's it is a quote or a short piece of writing by usually by somebody else, which you put at the beginning of a book, which sort of, in a way, it illustrates the theme of the book. Okay. So, for example, the epigraph I've got in in T Comics and Gender is a quote from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay. Which is, if there's anything more important than my ego around here, I wanted caught and shot. Or I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember exactly what it is. Oh, I love that. I love that. That's now I want to do that with my screenplays. Yes. <laughs> I actually did that with a short film kind of thing about it. My very first short film, I had an epigraph at the very yeah. beginning. It was from Nancy Friday's My Mother, Myself, because the, oh, yes. the movie was about autobiographical thing between my mother and I. And so I used the Nancy Friday quote at the beginning of that to set the thing. You're so. going to have to let me know how to get to see your films. Oh, that's easy. Just beautifulboy.com. And so the boy is spelled B-O-I. Okay. And so you can... I'm a note of that myself. Okay, I'll put it in chat for you as well so it can pop up on your screen. Yes, and let's see, we're winding down on questions. I don't have any new questions coming in. Um, Oh, no, please give us more. I know. I I loved your comment about artists and that we're such a pain and we're so centered. We could just talk about ourselves all day. We can't. (laughs) (laughs) The endless interview. Yes. (laughs) It's it's when I talk to people about having written a memoir, I just Mm -hmm. say, it's because I'm deeply pretentious. <laughs> Which couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> you don't know? Okay. <laughs> There's some truth in there. Okay. okay. <laughs> oh, yes. The whole thing, T-snob, writer, if you're not at least a little bit pretentious, then you can't do any of these things. You can't be an artist if you're not a little bit pretentious. Yes. Because <laughs> you, you need a springboard. <laughs> yeah. All right, I do have some, I have a few concluding questions. So let's dive into this. Is there anything we missed about your books and the Kickstarter that you'd like to make sure you say now? Really, the only thing I'd like to say, I mean, is please, if what I write sounds interesting to you, please go and back my Kickstarter. I mean, mm-hmm. it's struggling a bit at the moment, which I'm putting down to the to the, sorry, the economic climate of the entire world at the minute. When things get tough, Things like Kickstarters are the first to go. I know I've certainly stopped getting stopped backing Kickstarters as much as I used to. So I just can't afford to. If you feel you have some spare cash and you would like to throw it my way, I would love it. Okay, um, that's fantastic. Failing that, if you're interested in my books, please try to order them from an independent bookshop. As I said before, these are people who love books for what they are rather than just as a commodity. Let me know that you've bought one. And I will be more than happy to give you a free ebook copy of it, and I'll send you a a book plate. Can you talk more about that? It's a book plate. Uh, it's just it's a thing you a, a thing you stick in the front of your book to say this book belongs to. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, but it'd be a nice. it'd, be, it'd be a signed one, obviously. Yes. Or you could keep it. Uh, you could keep it unsigned and have a rare unsigned copy of one of my books. Okay. All right. That sounds great. Let me see. I have another question here for you. Oh, I love this question. Can you share an experience with gender euphoria? 
I kind of feel like I should, like I say, you need to get T-Comics and Gender to find out about that stuff. Ooh, cliffhangers. Okay, okay. No, but I will tell, I'll tell a story that I don't actually go into quite as much in the book. So in my bathroom, before my wife and I separated, there was a long mirror attached to the wall above the sink. And it was a mirror where you could see your, your entire body in. Couldn't be moved, couldn't be easily covered, all that sort of stuff. And I, I never liked seeing my body in it. But when I started to socially transition and when I knew what was happening, things got even worse. So it got to the point where, you know, seeing what was down between my legs would make me feel physically sick. So I ended up covering sort of the bottom half of the mirror with some sticky backed plastic. Okay. Which made things a little difficult for my wife because she's a little shorty. Got you. Got you. Okay. She managed. But when I got back home after my bottom surgery, one of the first things I did was to pull back, the, pull the plastic off, stand back and just look at myself. And then seeing how I looked, seeing what was now between my legs and seeing my breasts, seeing a more feminine shape. It was, I was just absolutely overjoyed. It was just mm. an amazing wonderful experience i was who i should have been i could appreciate myself in a way that i'd never been able to before this was me and it was it was just right i i had made i'd made the right decision i'd done i'd done exactly the right thing i'd done what i needed for me to be able to be happy and to keep going with my life. How does this sentiment feel like I started my transition last April and have been on T for over a year now. And I recently oh. had top surgery in November. And Congratulations. I have, thank you. I have a bottom surgery scheduled for next October. When I talk to people, I'm making a documentary about my transition and mental health journey of 40 plus years. And that's a beautiful boy is about. And Recently, as I've been journaling and trying to figure out more of how I am, how I feel versus how I felt a year ago, I have come to my own personal conclusion that I'm not transitioning. I'm simply going home. How do you feel about that? Would you? That is beautiful. I don't particularly term transition. Me neither. Because it implies that I'm going, I'm going from something to something else. But what I'm actually doing is just becoming more me i didn't i did not need bottom surgery to be a, i did not i do not need hormones to be a woman i don't need to wear me i don't need anything i am a woman no matter what else all that other stuff is purely there to to combat the dysphoria and that in and of itself is a perfectly acceptable reason to do it but to say i'm transitioning implies that the that all this is the reason I'm doing it rather than, am I saying that right? Yeah, it's like I'm transitioning because I want to have, I want to do all this stuff rather than I need to do it to be me. So yeah, so I am coming home. I'm being, I am finding where I am comfortable. I'm finding where I am the most happy. How do you feel it relates to your ancestry? In what way? <laughs> I remember I was on the show a few months ago. This is the first mm -hmm. time I had heard of Genderform and Jennifer Mealster had me on the show. And I talk about how, for me, uh, I am not the only transgender person in my ancestral lineage. Okay. That, and so that's what I'm referring to. It's like, yeah. 
when you, if you take a second to think beyond like present life moment now and to think back into your lineage, how does that, how would you describe that for yourself if you were to take it in those terms? As far as I'm aware, none of my relatives or ancestors showed any sign of being anything other than cisgender and straight. I've never really thought about it in, in those sorts of terms before. I don't particularly, for me anyway, I don't think it matters too much. I am me, and that's all I need, really. I don't, it doesn't really matter to me whether I'm, I'm following in someone's footsteps. I'm not entirely sure, I'm, I'm, quite understand, I'm still not quite sure I, I'm understanding the question. But It's not so much to follow in another person's foot because that's not how ancestry works anyway. Mm. It's just to say that out of the entire lineage of all mm. of the humans that existed up, up until when you were made, yeah. do you have any sentimentality or reflection back to that entire lineage? of all of these human beings that ended up making you through the different branches. So it's not not immediate family, but all yeah. the way back. I have an interest in, in where I came from, but it's more, it's more about, partly it's more about the writing aspect of it than the gender aspect of it. So for example, there is a very famous song in, in and around the Northeast of England called The Blade and Races. Okay. That is attributed to a man called Geordie Ridley. Georgie Ridley, okay. Geordie Ridley, yep. Geordie Ridley. Um, yeah. Geordie Ridley, yeah. But the family, the family history says that actually it was written by one by my great grandfather, who was a roommate of Geordie Ridley, and Geordie Ridley stole it. Whoa. And we have a we haven't got any definite proof, but we are fairly sure of it. How does that feel knowing this information? It's, I, it doesn't really, it doesn't affect me. It, it, I find it really interesting, but I've, I don't suppose it would actually, if, uh, if Geordie Ridley was proven to be a fake, then I don't think it would make much, a lot of difference. I, there would yeah. be a, yeah. excuse me, the tea is repeating on me. There mm. would be a brief splash in the newspapers and on, on local television. And, and that, would, that would right. be my 15 minutes of fame. Okay. Uh, at which point I would, you know, fully plug my books. Right. Getting 15 minutes, I'm going to work this. <laughs> I, I had a famous writer for an ancestor. So obviously my writing's going to be good. Duh. Right. That's perfect. Yeah, but I, as for anything else, I don't, I live my life for me and my immediate family and other things don't really affect it, I don't think. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm sure they probably do, but I just. It's just uh, an immediate concern right now. Yeah. As I mentioned, self-centered. No, I get it. It's living in the moment. I have one last question for you here. What would you like to make sure folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary trans issues? I think the important thing is is valid, whatever their gender is. Everyone is worthy of love and support, even cisgender people, mm-hmm. which is difficult sometimes, but they deserve it. But nobody has the right to police your gender and make you feel inferior because of who you are. And in that, I, I include people who detransition. Yeah. Um, there's often a sort of, uh, certainly in, in the gender critical world, there is a view that, that trans people hate detransitioners and nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah. You yeah. teach your body yeah. to do what you want to do, right? 
Yeah, the fact that they've been through this, that they've thought deeply about their gender, tried something else, and come to the conclusion that there is a gender assigned as assigned at birth is the right one. It's just as much just as worthy of celebration as you know, any trans person who knows that their gender is correct after their transition. And and they should be we should be supporting them and loving them and caring for them yeah. in the same way that you would for any for anybody else in the community because they are part of the community still. That's right. Thank you for saying that. It's something I've I, at the moment the, there is a detransitioner who has decided another detransitioner who has decided to to sue the NHS for allowing him to go through with surgery. But and so I so people and he's being quite I he isn't he's less so now, but he's been he's been quite vocal and getting a bit of a, a platform. The other I, it's a tiny percentage of people who do detransition, obviously. Right. And of that, it's a, a t- an even smaller percentage of people who decide to go gender critical. But you know, the everyone, even the gender critical ones, are worthy of our love because what what has happened to them is it's depending on how well, not even depending on how far they're through the, their transition they were. It's they're, they're essentially they've made two massive decisions, two massive life altering decisions. That's right. And they need to be supported in dealing with them. So, yeah, we've just, just as valid. Yeah. But before yeah, they transition, they transition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And going back. Yes. Yeah. They, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. Be kind to people. Be kind. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what their battle is. So just be kind. Yeah. Exactly. To be kind. There's yeah. no shame in being kind. Yeah. Uh, don't judge others. I, this trans medicalism stuff is you, you don't need to have dysphoria to be transgender. You don't no. need to socially or medically transition. No. Your gender is yours and only you can define it. That's right. And it's up to everybody else to respect it, mm-hmm. whether they understand what that gender is or not. Understanding is purely on the um, is purely the problem. Is it's your problem? It's not my problem. You have to accept who I am. It's up to right. you to be able to actually say to understand what it is. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all to me whether you do or not. Disrespect. Um, yeah, yeah. And at the moment, trans people and our ally, allies, we need to come together and get loud and get angrier. Things are bad in the UK and the US at the minute. Yes. And yeah, you know, as I said earlier on, Liz Truss. They're going to get worse. There yeah. is, in the 1980s in the UK, we had something called Section 28. I don't know if you've heard of that. I haven't. No. Can you talk more about that? It's a Margaret Thatcher. May she rest in hell. And her government at the time passed a law which said that homosexuality could not be promoted by any public body. So it was not allowed to be talked about in schools. It was not allowed to be mentioned in in councils. Nothing. It was just. It was basically outlawed, and that was only only over repealed in the late nineties. Okay. And now there is a lot of talk of there being a a section twenty eight for trans people. If uh, recently we had the parliament saying that we were going that they were banning conversion therapy. Except for trans people. Except okay. for trans people. And there is... Sounds there medieval. Oh, yes. Yeah. And there are rumours that they're even going to be... Liz Truss will be pulling back on that. Because they haven't actually passed the law yet to ban it. 
when do you all vote again? Like the way that you voted for Boris, when do you all vote again? When the two parties? Uh, two years. Two years. Two years. But that's enough time to do a lot of damage. That's the, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a rough couple of years. Okay. And the only saving grace is that Liz Truss is going to do such a terrible job that the Conservative Party have no chance of getting in next time. Mm. Um, but I, that's, that is me being, trying to look on the bright side as much as I can. It's happening here too. Yeah, like yeah. we have our midterms and soon in November we vote again and yeah. Republicans want to take over the House and the Senate. I'm just like, that can't happen right now. Yeah. It'll just make yeah. things hard for people like me and everyone else. Yeah, we just have to hope that Trump gets sent to prison before then. Yeah. That would be nice. It'd be a change of pace. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's see here. We are at 15 minutes till. So you can find out more about Ellen and her books, including the Kickstarter at linktree forward slash Sam. I'm going to just Sam Arcand. I'm just going to spell it all out. I think that it might be on the screen, but it's linktree. So L-I-N-K-T-R-E forward slash S-A-M-A-R-C-A-N-D. And you can follow along on Twitter with at S-A-M-A-R-C-A-N-D. Okay. And then coming up next week, we've got Devin S. Turk, and we are going to be discussing disability and madness. Ellen, do you have any- That's a good one. Yeah, it does. Do you have any last words before we sign off? No, not really. Just to say- Thank you for having me. I've had a wonderful couple of hours. It's been absolutely great. It's been wonderful, wonderful talking, talking with you. you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's been wonderful talking with you. Thank you so much for coming today. And I did drop my website in the chat for you. Yes, I saw. And thank you, yes. Yes, please reach out and and I'll reach back out too. That is, that'll be good for both of us. And I'm just going to sign off here. Jennifer would like to thank our guests for being on this podcast. Feel free to join us live on Twitch on Mondays. Check out the replays on YouTube on Fridays. Keep an eye on your favorite podcasting platforms for edited audio-only versions of the show and other shows. And as Gender Meowsters Kitty says, as Never Kitty says, trans rights are human rights. That's right. <laughs> Definitely. All right, everybody. Take care. It's great to have you. Thank you. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Thank you.